All right. Well, hey, I think this is the conclusion of God's secret weapon. We'll find out next week if if there's another one or not. But God's secret weapon, part seven, we've been talking about God's secret weapon, which is his love for us. His love for us affects us in different ways, and that changes other things. Last week, we talked about his love for us, allowing us to walk in the truth. So many times people feel like they need to live a lie in order to fit in, in order to be accepted, in order for their life to work. They've got to say things that aren't true, pretend things are different than they actually are because otherwise they can't make their life work. They wouldn't be accepted if they told the truth, whatever it might be. Let me tell you, God loves you right now. You can be honest with him. You can tell him the truth. You don't need to live a lie with God. And You don't need to live a lie to yourself and be wise in who you share things with. You know, don't cast your pearls before swine, that sort of a deal. But let me tell you, because God loves you so much, you don't need to live a lie. Your story is your soul. Your story is your story. And you can go ahead and let that story be redeemed by the love of God. So the truth is you can walk in truth because of the love of God. This week, we're going to talk about bearing fruit for the kingdom of God. Jesus paid it forward on the cross. He paid it forward. He made a sacrifice so that we would then catch that vision and make sacrifices ourselves for the greater good for others. So we got a problem. That would be complacent consumer Christianity. So uh, that's basically, you know, people who don't want to do anything unless they get a benefit out of it with regards to their relationship with God. Complacent consumer Christianity. They're only in it for themselves. There's an internal focus. This can be true on the individual level. It can be true on the church level. On the church level, churches can be internally focused. We want what we want for us rather than we want what God wants for them. So we need to go from an internal focus. I want this for me, the church. We want this for us into an external focus. God's plan is to do this. We want to do this for them because Jesus has paid it forward. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He died on the cross for your sins, not to make us complacent, but to activate us in faith to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. So Christ sacrificed for us so we could learn to sacrifice for others. Now, if we, if we see this as a bunch of dominoes, like Christ died, sacrificed for us so that we could sacrifice for others so that they could sacrifice for others. And if we just let that echo through the world, what it would mean is that everyone is there to help others. It's the great dream of love your neighbor, where We are looking to our neighbor's interests and trying to help them while they're looking to our interests to try to help us. And if we all do that, it turns into an amazing, glorious, wonderful thing rather than trying to destroy your neighbor or attack or, you know, all these other things. One of the things that can be a problem, though, like people know the love that God has for them. And instead of understanding that Jesus is paying it forward so that you can sacrifice and serve others, some people, they say, well, Jesus loves me so I can exploit 
his love for me. I can manipulate him because I, he'll always take me back. He'll always forgive me. I can abuse this relationship because he loves me so much. And that's the wrong way to go. We want to understand Christ loves us. God loves us. So we should love others. Christ sacrifices for us. We should sacrifice for others. He's paying it forward. We shouldn't manipulate that. Reminds me of the joke about the difference between dogs and cats. I grew up as a dog person. My wife was a cat person. It was a huge conflict for me. But I became a cat person because cats are awesome. Dogs are awesome. You don't have to pick between one or the other. It's a false dichotomy. You can love dogs and cats. It might take some personal growth, but it's possible. Here's the joke. So a dog looks at its owner and says, no, my master feeds me. My master cares for me. My master pets me and plays with me and loves me. My master must be God. That's a dog's perspective. A cat has this perspective. So that person over there feeds me, takes care of me, pets me and plays with me. They love me. I must be God. That's the cat's perspective. We want to, when we are relating to Christ, not to think of ourselves higher than Jesus, that he is serving us because we are above Christ, but recognize that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, and he has sacrificed for us who are lower than him. So we need to be willing to sacrifice for others who may be are in a more difficult spot than we're in. So we want to not exploit the love of God, but realize Jesus is paying it forward so that we can bear fruit for the kingdom of God. We can sacrifice for others. We can have an outward focus and look at making a difference and helping others rather than just looking at ourselves, exploiting the love of God, and then looking at our own self-interest. Let's go to Matthew chapter 13. This might be my favorite parable. I remember as a brand new Christian reading this parable and thinking, man, this is powerful, powerful stuff. The parable of the sower from Matthew chapter 13. Jesus gives four categories of people, types of people who are confronted with the gospel message. What do they do? Four types of people starts with the parable, and then he explains it, which is wildly helpful because some of the parables Jesus doesn't explain, and we just have to guess as to what it means, and different people think different things. But here's very, very clear because Jesus just flat out explains it. So let's start with the parable, the parable of the sower. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So there you go. 
uh, these four categories. There's the path where the birds come and eat up the seed that was sown. Um, so instead of the seed falling into a little nook in the ground, it's exposed, the birds come and eat it up. Obviously, no return on the investment of sowing seed when it gets in the path and the birds eat it. Then you got the rocky soil. And it, this isn't just soil with rocks in it. It's like the idea is maybe there's just a little bit of a soil with a rock underneath it. I think of the the edge of the sidewalks. If you don't edge your sidewalks, you know, the, the dirt kind of creeps in. And like, let's say you tried to plant a tomato plant on that stuff. You know, it would come up because there's not much to go down to. But then once it dries up, it just would, it would just wither. There's the seed among thorns. So I have a gardener confession. You know, I have planted and not weeded very well. When you plant a garden, but you don't weed the garden, what happens? You don't get much of a harvest because all the weeds grow up and your, your nice little plants don't get the sunlight and the nutrients that they need. So you got to weed it. The seed that fell among the thorns it's too much competition, didn't produce a return. But then there was seed that fell on good soil, produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Much better return, high return. Plant 100 seeds, you know, get 10,000. So 100 times 100, 10,000 in return. That's pretty good, you know? So 10,000, 6,000, 3,000, that's pretty good return. What's he talking about? What is Jesus talking about? Well, it's explained starting in verse 18. Listen to then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their hearts. This is the seed sown along the path. So people who hear the gospel message, but they're like, yeah, that's baloney, or they think some sort of very confused thought about it. They, they just, they don't get it. Doesn't sink in. It bounces off. The enemy comes and takes away what was sown. It's lost on them. They get no benefit. There's no produce from that. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So this is someone who understands the good news of the gospel, but who doesn't understand the difficulties and the sacrifices that are necessary. So when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So they're a Christian. Somebody makes fun of them. They feel bad about that. They lose a couple of friends. All of a sudden now their enthusiasm for following Jesus is diminished. They're like the shallow soil, the rocky soil. Spring up quickly. They didn't realize there were going to be hardships, persecutions, trials, challenges along the way. So they, they quit when it gets hard. They don't understand the sacrifice. Jesus makes that sacrifice very clear. I'm going to go to... Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 23, Jesus says this, uh, or he's recorded as saying this a bunch of times in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but I want to look at the one in Luke 9, Luke 9, 23, 
Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? So Jesus is making it clear. There is a sacrifice that is involved. You're going to have to deny yourself and carry your cross. This is a sacrifice. And so the shallow soil understands, well, God loves me. There's forgiveness from God. I get to go to heaven. This is great. But they don't understand that there's this sacrifice. They have to deny themselves, carry their cross, that it's a, it's a burden. It's a battle. There's a struggle involved. They weren't expecting that. And so then when this struggle happens, they're, they're hurt, wounded, they wither, and they don't continue. The thing about it is, you know, they're kind of the shallow soil. It's, it's about them and their experience. And if it's a good experience or a difficult experience. So they're receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ as something that is a blessing to them. And when it isn't a short-term blessing to them, then they fall away because it's a long-term blessing for sure. But there are struggles along the way. So they are short-sighted. They can lose their very self. That's not good. But since it's not, you know, beneficial every moment along the way, there are hardships and persecutions and trials and struggles. Then they fall away. So we don't want to be like that. We don't want to quit when it gets hard. Then the thorny soil, back to Matthew chapter 13, the thorny soil is talking about people who are following Christ, but there's too much other stuff going on. So verse 22, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. So the deceitfulness of wealth, worries of this life, this means that there are other priorities above the gospel, above following Christ, that then grow up higher than that, block out the sun, take the nutrients in that person's life, and they just never get anywhere in their walk with God. They still believe, but they just produce no fruit. It's important to recognize in the parable of the sower that it's the good soil that produces a harvest 160 or 30 times what was sown. That is, that's the good one of the four. You know, the one who believes but accomplishes nothing. That's not the good. That's not the good place. It's sort of like somebody who believes in saving for retirement. So let's say that someone is, you know, hey, what do you think about saving for retirement? Well, I believe in it, man. I was taught in elementary school. Thankfully, I was taught when I was young that uh, saving for retirement is really, really important. So I've been believing that, you know, now I'm 60 years old and I've believed in retirement savings for over five decades. And I'm just so thankful for that. Now I haven't gotten around to saving anything for retirement. I have no retirement savings, but I believe in it. You know, like, like that person, okay, what, what, if you believe in retirement savings, but you're like, yeah, but I needed the boat. So, you know, that year I couldn't save for retirement and then I needed the shoes. I needed the house. I needed, you know, to go out to eat a lot. So I wasn't able to save the other year. And then I needed this and that. 
So it's, it's that people understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they don't understand the priority God is to have in their life. And so then the things of God don't get anywhere. There's no production. Nothing happens. Matthew 13, uh, 44 through 46, kind of describes the importance of prioritizing the things of God. It says, the kingdom of heaven, this is Jesus speaking again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So the idea here is that we give up something nice for something better. You know, the merchant with the pearls. Got a few nice pearls. Oh, there's a real good one. You sell these 20 pearls to get one that's worth way more. This is a prize pearl. You understand you've got to give those things up, and they're nice. You know, boat's nice. Maybe you can have a boat and serve God at the same time. That's possible. But if you're prioritizing your recreational time so you don't go to church, you don't read your Bible, you don't pray, uh, you're not going to produce much return for the kingdom of God. So we see the, the field, sell everything, buy the field. Get, you know, you're giving up certain nice things to get something better. Giving up some of this to get that pearl of great price. The person with the thorny soil doesn't understand the priority necessary for this to work. So we want to have the wisdom to set aside nice things for better things, to have a future vision of what God is doing. Then there's the good soil. They hear, they understand, they get the message, they understand the gospel of Jesus Christ that, you know, God is good, he's perfect, he wants an eternal kingdom where there's no sin, no pain, it's not messed up, there's no war, there's no hardship, there's no suffering, none of that stuff. So anybody who does that doesn't get to go into the kingdom of God, into heaven. So like all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the wages of sin is death, but Jesus paid the price on the cross so that we could be redeemed. We could be bought back from death and brought into the family of God. Then we need to start learning the ways of God, serving the Lord. There's going to be suffering and difficulty along the way, but it's worth fighting for. We're going to go get it. And then it's worth prioritizing. We don't get caught up in the things of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the worries of, of all the things going on, but we still prioritize the things of God. Then that person bears fruit for the kingdom of God 160 or 30 times what was sown. That's what we want to see. Believing, standing in hard times, staying focused on the main thing. You know, the old Zig Ziglar quote, the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. That is so true in church. You can get caught up on all these other things, get into, you know, complacent consumer Christianity. The main thing is to worship and honor God and to see what he wants us to do and go do it. You know, to have an external focus, to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. Then we get to make a real difference. When we believe the message, stand through the hard times, keep the priority at the right place, then we get to see some real neat things. In 2023, Good Hope Church, we had our best missions giving year ever. And it was really, really great. We broke a quarter of a million dollars in missions giving from Good Hope Church in 2023. Isn't that amazing? 
That's people with an external focus who are serving God and, and they're believing God to make a difference through their giving. We've got our co-location idea here. We've got Eagles Landing in Ball Club. Love for you to give towards that. You know, they're, they're you know, trying to do their best and get some work done. We got that. We got Lakeside. Alborn, West Duluth, all these things that are kind of in motion. We're believing God to see a return and to see an advancement in the kingdom of God, see some things happen. So we want to see this return 160, 30 times what was sown, that Jesus is actually painted forward so that we can do things for the kingdom of God, empowered by the Spirit, called into his service. We want to walk in that way. A couple of weeks ago, we prayed for people with a spiritual financial wound. You know, like maybe they were manipulated into giving or that sort of thing, or they had a financial wound already. They came to church and it just got worse. That's an important thing to deal with. But people can also, when I'm talking about like, let's bear fruit for the kingdom of God, there can be a a spiritual sacrifice wound that people have. Maybe they've sacrificed beyond what they were supposed to for longer than they were supposed to. They got to that place of burnout and hurt, and it just got yucky. I've been there. I've been in rough spots as far as having understood the sacrifice, but not understanding something else. In Matthew chapter 11, I just back this up a little bit, and we start in verse 28. Jesus says this, says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I remember reading that and not believing it. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Baloney. Like, I, I'm not seeing it. I think following Jesus is difficult. It's sacrifice. It's a battle. There's People come against you, you know, there's, it's, it's not easy. How, how does Jesus say it's easy? After, after Easter, we're going to do a series called Holy Contradictions. And it's going to be dealing with things like this. So which is it? Is it Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, my yoke is easy and my burden is light? Or is it Luke 9, you know, take up your cross daily, deny yourself. You're like, which one is it? Because take up your cross daily and deny yourself. Like, that doesn't seem light and easy. But then he says light and easy in Matthew 11. So how do we reconcile these things? Well, we're going to battle that one after Easter. So which is it? Easy and light or self-denial and carrying your cross daily? Well, it's both, you know. Unless you don't access both of them, then it might only be, well, then, you know, it might only be sacrifice and hardship, and then you burn out. But if you don't access my yoke is easy and my burden is light, then it's going to be hard. I grew up with just dig a little deeper. You know what I mean? Like, you really want it, you can have it. Like, that was the answer to everything. Just try harder. I brought that into my relationship with God, and I found out that That's not actually God's plan. Just try harder. Just dig a little deeper. You really wanted it. You could have it. Like, that's not, that's, that's not the gospel. The gospel is that we trust in God. He empowers us and we serve the Lord doing our part, but he's there with us. And 
we abide in the vine. We stay connected with Christ and then the fruit comes, but it's not by our incredible effort that it comes. We've got to participate. We've got to do things the right way. We've got to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, but these other things will be added to us as well. So I would work really hard, but I didn't understand my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I asked the Lord, like, you got to help me understand this because I don't believe it. It's in the Bible. It's got to be true. I don't believe it. You got to help me. You know what I mean? You ever read something? You're like, unless you're just one of those religious people. Yes. Praise the Lord, brothers. True. It's true. But you haven't actually looked into your heart to see if you actually believe it. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I honestly didn't believe it. But I didn't know, okay, what do I do with that? So I asked the Lord, well, how does this work? Showed me a couple things. First one is, for Jesus' yoke to be easy and his burden is light, you have to take the other yokes off. So in the parable of the sower, the thorny soil is someone who the worries of this life is a burden they're carrying. And the deceitfulness of wealth is another burden that they're carrying. And so since they're carrying these other burdens, the burden of, you know, redeemed follower of Christ was something that was overshadowed by the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth, thinking wealth is going to solve all your problems, that, you know, everybody's going to like you once you have a whole bunch of money, that you're not going to have any issues. Like, that's not how it works, you know, the deceitfulness of wealth that is going to solve all your problems. And, and all of the worries of everything, carrying all of that with you, you got to take that off. What if you took off the worries of this life, like meeting other people's expectations, the burden of seeing injustice, the injustice that's happened to you, the wounds and the grudges that you carry with you? What if you could take that wound off and be free from it? What if instead of having to prove yourself by making so much money that your, you know, high school friends will be jealous? What if instead you just didn't care and you took that off and it didn't matter to you? Taking all of those burdens off is a key part of his yoke being easy and his burden is light. One of the deceit, deceitful burdens that I carried was I need to do all the work that everybody else isn't doing for the kingdom of God so that the kingdom of God will work. So I'm throwing everybody else's burden up on top of me and trying to carry the whole load. Well, that was crushing. It doesn't work like that. I need to carry my burden. That's why I have this little link up here. You've seen my got little trinkets up here, but this link, I'm one link in the chain. That's it. Got this here to remind me that I'm going to do my thing, but I'm not going to carry other people's burdens. I'm not going to carry these other yokes. I'm going to do my little piece. I'm going to be Mike. I'm going to preach the word. I'm going to encourage you to follow Jesus, be productive for the kingdom of God. I'm going to encourage you to do that. I'm not going to carry your burden for you. I'm not going to carry other people's burdens for them. I'm going to do my part. Let's all do our part. Then the chain is going to be strong and together and we can get some work done. So put the other yokes down and just carry the simple yoke of redeemed follower of Christ and then believe for your reward. God's got good things for you. Mark 10, the disciples were shocked about the interaction with the rich young ruler. And uh, Jesus was talking about how, you know, like some of these people, like they won't give up their wonderful possessions for the kingdom of God. So they're in a tough spot, rich people, because they have trouble seeing that they're giving up something good for something better. They see the value in what they have, and they don't understand the value of the things of God. So they have a tendency to keep what they have and reject the things of God. 
Peter, though, verse 28, chapter 10 of Mark, Peter spoke up. We've left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So here Jesus is saying the sacrifice is worth it in this life and in the age to come. He promises here is a hundred times as much with regards to homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, uh, along with persecutions. And, you know, I thought the same thing. Okay, hundred mothers. What what are you talking about? I get a hundred houses? You know, like, how does this work? I asked, I asked the Lord about that, you know, because again, if you don't understand something, pray and seek the Lord on it. What do you mean a hundred times? And it's not, it's not meant to be exactly a hundred. It's meant to be like, this is way better. You're giving this up. You're going to get something way better. So it shouldn't be taken too literally with, you know, not 99, not 101, hundred exactly. That's not it. So what does it mean? A hundred homes, a hundred mothers. What does that mean? I gave up some things to follow Jesus. How many spiritual mothers do I have right now? How many spiritual brothers and sisters do I have? Got a pile of them, got a bunch. How many homes am I welcome in? I'd say it's more than a hundred. Lots of homes I'm welcome in. If I really needed some help, I needed some place to stay, got a lot of people that would take me in. It's a beautiful place to be. It's not that I have the deed to a hundred houses, but I have a hundred houses that I'm welcome in. That's a neat thing. It's a good thing. Jesus is saying, make sure that you remember when you're bearing fruit for the kingdom of God, it's not all sacrifice. It's also light and easy, but you have to take hold of the blessing in this life and you have to remember the coming blessing in the next. It's good. Have at her. You know, believe for your reward. Part of light and easy is realizing that it's all going to be taken care of. You ever going to be going on vacation in a week? And so you're like, well, I got this job I don't like, but it's okay. I'm going on vacation in a week. You know, the day is made easier by what's coming in the future. As we trust in Christ, we can believe for this return in this life, along with persecutions. It's not all easy. It's both. But we also trust in eternal life and we can think, yeah, I'm going to serve the Lord in this life. I got something better coming. It's going to be good. That takes a burden off of us and we trust God. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Now, let me tell you about a Western culture bias. When we read the scriptures, we read it from a personal individual perspective. The Bible is written to the individual, but it's also written to the group. It's written to everyone. Just think of the Lord's prayer. How does the Lord's prayer start? Our Father who art in heaven. It's a group prayer. It's not even a personal individual prayer. My Father who is in heaven. Our Father who is in heaven. It's it's meant for the group, not just for the individual. So Western bias, we see things as individual rather than group. And so we need to see the group thing. When my yoke is easy and my burden is light, it's not just me personally. If we're all working together as the body of Christ, then my yoke is easy and my burden is light begins to make sense. It means that if we together sacrifice for the kingdom of God, 
if we together prioritize the things of God, if we together serve the Lord, then my yoke is easy and my burden is light starts to make some sense because we're helping and encouraging each other. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 is great with regards to that, but I want to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 13 through 15 to make the final point here. So the Apostle Paul was talking to the Corinthian church and he's having a little bit of problems with them. You know, he's having some issues and all that stuff, some church politics and junk going on there. But he's, he's taken an offering for the believers back in Jerusalem. There's a famine over there, but in other places there isn't. So they're taking an offering so that the needs can be met of these people by these other people. And what, what Paul says to the church in Corinth, I think, is very interesting. Starting in verse 13, chapter 8, 2 Corinthians. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. So he jumps to the manna example to make the point. But the point here is this. When we work together, good things happen. My yoke is easy and my burden is light means we're all working together, carrying one another's burdens, you know, trusting in God together, and we go forward. Sometimes somebody else needs some help. Jesus helped us, so we help others. We're going to uh, be going into uh, the lakeside region of Duluth, the lakeside neighborhood. So starting March 3rd, if you are in driving distance of uh, 51st and Glenwood, currently One Life Community Church. It'll become Good Hope Lakeside starting March 3rd. If you live in that area, you're within driving distance of that area, I would love to see you there March 3rd, 10 a.m. Let me tell you, the, the church there, One Life Community Church, they've been carrying a heavy burden for a while, and they need some people to come in and help. Maybe you can be part of that. I'm going to be part of it. I will be there March 3rd. I will be there the Sunday after that. I'll be there the Sunday after that. We're going to be building something up there in Lakeside. They've been hard-pressed trying to make it work. I'm going to go help. A few others go and help too. Something good's going to happen. I invite you to church. Good Hope, Lakeside, March 3rd. But let's pray. I want to pray. Closing verse. Jesus paid it forward. His love for us means that Jesus paid it forward. He sacrificed for us so that we could sacrifice for others not so that we could exploit the love of God, but so that we could bear fruit for the kingdom of God. We could produce a return. And then 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. I like the idea. I like the idea of reaping generously. So let's pray. Jesus paid it forward. He sowed generously. Let us sow generously as well. Instead of being complacent consumer Christians, let's look at what we can do, how we can be a blessing to others, how we can advance the kingdom of God, how we can be willing to make sacrifices for something better. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. Lord, I pray you'd encourage us not to be selfish believers who want to take from you and exploit your love for us, but Lord, recognizing that you've paid it forward and now we can pay it forward as well. You've sacrificed for us. 
we can sacrifice for others. You have done amazing, beautiful things for us, shown your love and your mercy and your grace for us. Let us show love, mercy, and grace to others. Lord, I pray that each one of us as believers in you would not be complacent consumer Christians taking things for ourselves with an internal focus, but that we would look out and that we would endeavor to bear fruit 160 or 30 times what was sown, Lord, that we could do good things for your kingdom, not because we're trying to prove ourselves to you, but because we know your love for us, your love for them, and we want to participate in your plan. Lord, we pray your blessings on Good Hope Lakeside, that whole region there in Duluth, uh, Lakeside, Lester Park, that whole area. Lord, we pray for revival and for good things to happen there and for relief for those who've been volunteering and serving for so long, doing such good work. Lord, we pray that people would come alongside and help them out. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.